Hello and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Just, the UK's first enforcement market integrator, and Aram, which has been helping organisations to prevent and resolve problem debt for over 25 years, with me, your host Steve Coppard. In this series, we'll be shining a light on issues that impact the debt industry by discussing topics as diverse as numeracy, illegal money lending and behavioural insights. It's time to grab a cuppa as we give credit where credit's due to our expert guests. For this episode, I visited the illegal money lending team in June 2023 to talk about the nation's efforts to stop loan sharks. I met with Kath Wohlers in the week before Mantis de Jutas was sentenced to four and a half years in prison for having illegally lent about £2 million, making a profit of 450000 This is a complex topic that lives in the grey area of where we draw the line on subprime lending. On the one hand, Jason Wassell, the chief exec of the Consumer Credit Trade Association, argues that shrinking the market leads to financial exclusion. While on the other hand, Mick McAteer of the Financial Inclusion Centre takes the view that improved regulation has protected people from unaffordable products. Around this time as well, Fair For All Finance published a report into loan sharks and it's looking to convene cross-sector, cross-party support to create a credit market that supports everyone. Presumably that would fill the gap between Jason and Mick's viewpoints. Now look, free training is available from the illegal money lending team. If that's of interest to you, your organisation, just call 0300 555 and ask for CAF or go to stoploansharks.co.uk and use the live chat. Right, that's enough from me. Let's dive straight into the interview and find out more about CAF's expertise in this area. Welcome to this edition of Credit Where Credit's Due. So, Kath. Hi, my name is Kath Wollers. I'm one of the operations managers on the England Illegal Money Lending Team, which I always think makes it sound like I lend money illegally. But I do not. This is not a confession, especially as we are recording. We, I much prefer our kind of social media handle, which is Stop Loan Sharks, because that actually describes what we do. So the Illegal Money Lending Team is the legal entity. That's what we're called in the legislation. Stop Loan Sharks is our social media handle and I think our public-facing persona, if you like, because that actually, like I say, that tells people what we do. But randomly, I work for Birmingham City Council, even though I live in the North West. So Birmingham City Council has the contract to run the Illegal Money Lending Team from central government. We are paid for by a levy on the legitimate credit industry. So all the legitimate credit businesses pay a small levy through Treasury and that comes to us. Birmingham City Council hosts the team, but we cover the whole of England, so we live and work all across the place. I couldn't really identify with the illegal money lending sounding like you illegally lend money. I used to work alongside the counter-fraud function, and everybody called it the fraud function. And like, no, we're not there to help people commit fraud. We're there to stop people committing fraud, so that makes perfect sense. So illegal money lending, loan sharks, this this is all burly men in trench coats with a wedge of 50s, right? (laughs) <laughs> Occasionally, uh, although not in a trench coat for a few years. Um, that's the perception, isn't it? I always say it's Phil Mitchell. It's the kind of, you know, Cockney geezer with a baseball bat and some shadowy figures behind him. And that does happen, don't get me wrong, but 5% of cases at most, maybe. You know, one in five of the people we arrested last year was female. We've seen loan sharks from 18 to 80-something. They can literally be anybody because a lot of the time, the way they control their victims and make sure people carry on paying isn't physical violence. A lot of the time, it's coercive control, it's threats, it's implied what might happen if you don't pay. So some people will imply there is a Mr. Big sitting behind them, who may or may not exist. More often than not, they won't exist. 
But quite often it's this kind of implied, you know, I'm your mate, I'm helping you out here. You don't want him knocking on your door. You want to deal with me. But if you don't keep paying, I can't keep him away from your door. And like I say, whether or not he exists is irrelevant because the fear, the persona, it's almost worse because it's unknown. It's like a horror movie. It's what happens off screen that's worse, isn't it? You know, you can see the blood and the guts and the gore and it's horrific, but you kind of deal with it. But the scream in an unknown room, that's what gets you. And it's exactly the same with loan sharks. It's implied. It's what could happen. So it literally can be anybody that, you know, we've had loan sharks where the threats have been about telling a partner about the loan because 20% of our victims don't tell their partner about the loan. We've had loan sharks where the threats have been random but hideous. We had one guy who said he had a cat killer dog. And if you didn't carry on paying him, he would set his dog on your cat. Now, that would get me paying. I'm a cat. I've got a cat. He is my pride and joy. I would keep paying if you threatened the cat. We had one at the moment we're really struggling with in the Ghanaian community where the threat's witchcraft. So I will curse you. I will curse your family if you don't carry on paying me. And it's such a powerful threat because the lady absolutely believes it will happen and there is nothing I can say or do to break that threat. So it, it's this coercive control me mechanism, methods, that means, I think, that it literally can be anyone that can be an illegal lender. So that, that sounds like these people are, are really good at tapping into where you're vulnerable and, and what your fears actually are. Yeah, and, and they'll vary the threats depending on who you are. It won't be like, you know, everyone is threatened with, with cat killing or witchcraft. It'll be, you know, what's your vulnerability? Where, where are you vulnerable? And we've all got vulnerabilities, you know, be it kids, partners finding out work. One guy recently, he went to a, a chap's work. He, he paid off his loan and he went to his work and made all sorts of allegations about him, which meant he got sacked. So we had to borrow money again. You know, it, it's all about this control. And I think it, it does vary. We've had loan sharks as well where they've actually varied their interest rate depending on who the victim is, who the client is. So, you know, we ended up being reported by a young lad who was in the army and he had a deal where he borrowed £1,500 for a laptop, paid back two grand. He thought that was fair enough. Wouldn't have complained about that. Then found out his mum was borrowing from the bloke and she was being charged three times what she borrowed. Then found out his nan was borrowing from the bloke and she'd paid back 10, 15 times what she borrowed because he'd work out who was the most vulnerable. So he th thought, you know, I can safely make 500 pounds off the guy in the army, but it's Nan. I can confuse her. She had multiple loans. She didn't quite know what she was paying back when. So she'd paid back 10, 11, 12 times what she borrowed at the point at which the lad thought that's not right and reported it to us. So, you know, they do prey very much on individuals. They don't treat people as collectives. They, they're, they're clever people. They work out where your weaknesses are. The case of the laptop, that, that actually sounds like a fair deal. If you look what a payday loan company would, so on, on one end of it, it almost feels legitimate. Yeah. And then the same person at the other end is, is completely, Absolutely. yeah. Very true is uh, off, often, I guess, what one strand of criminality lends itself to another. Absolutely. And they will sometimes try and look legitimate. You know, we've had people where they have given paperwork of, of sorts. One of the big things we say is a sign of a loan shark is no paperwork. But we've had them where they've called themselves, you know, Cathwola's loans and they've had payment books. And again, it makes it very hard for that individual to distinguish between them if they've been a provident customer in the past or anybody else in the past, you know, they, on the face of it might seem to operate exactly the same, but they're not doing affordability checks. They're not authorised to lend you money and probably not paying tax on what they earn either. So, look, it's, it's fascinating. Is it, isn't it a bit of a niche issue? I wish. <laughs> it would be so nice if it was a niche issue. It's one of these jobs, my job. I kind of wish I could do myself out of a job. You know, my ideal job is that I don't have a job. But it's, it's really tricky because... The, the latest research we have was from the Centre for Social Justice, which was March last year, 2022. And they did a survey, representative sample, and they, from that, worked out that 2% of the population of England are using loan sharks, which is 1.08 million people. 
And that's March 2022, before cost of living inflation and everything was anything like it is today. So we think that's probably gone up. There's some new research due out soon, which is going to suggest we've been told that it has gone up. And in terms of context, the previous research was 2010, and that estimated 310,000 UK households, that was as well. So there's a threefold increase in 12 years there in people using illegal lenders. I don't know if it means there's a threefold increase in illegal lenders or if there's the same number of illegal lenders lending to more people. That would be an interesting one to find out. But it, it's such an underreported crime, it's, it's probably only ever going to be a guesstimate from that point of view. Is there a way to drill down into that? And is there any formula that you can apply that would tell you what the hidden number is? It's really hard to do. I think it's, it's one of those things we can give indicators, we can find indicators, but it, it's always going to be a bit of a guess. The number of people we have sort of coming forward and asking for help is pretty consistent. It's all the other people who aren't doing that that I worry about. When you catch one of these people and prosecute them, is, is there sort of like an average number of clients they have on their books? It, it varies again. You know, we've had them with 25, 20 even maybe, and we've had them with 100, 150. I would say the average is probably 30 to 60 clients, but they'll make a lot of money out of those 30 to 60 clients. Yeah, I, I guess where you were saying just now that if you've got somebody who's particularly vulnerable and they can get 10, 15 times the amount of money out of them, then you, you don't need, I guess, as, as many of those people to, to, to have a very comfortable lifestyle. No, absolutely. And what a lot of them will do is they'll, they'll quote, if they quote an interest rate, they'll quote double bubble. So you borrow 500, pay back a grand, but quite often that's within the month. So, you know, start of the month, you're borrowing £500. You're not going to have the £1,000 at the end of the month. So the next month, you owe them 2000 The month after, you owe them four. The month after, you owe them eight. And unless you can pay it in full, they'll still say you owe them that eight grand. You've only ever borrowed £500. But now, suddenly, four months later, you owe them eight grand. We've got loan sharks as well, where what they will do, if you miss a payment, they'll double what you owe. But the vast majority of them, will do, they'll just do multiple loans. You know, so you've, you've got to the point where you, you don't know what you've borrowed. Um, I was listening to a, a debt advice call on Friday. A, a kind debt advice agency let us listen to some of their calls. And this lad was like, oh, £30 a week on that loan, £50 a week on that loan, £80 a week on that loan, and £40 a week on that loan. And it was all to the same person, you know, and, and, and that, that is, at least he knew what he owed a week for, on each of those loans. Most people wouldn't have a clue. It would be the loan shark turning up and saying, this week it's 160 this week it's 220 That's the first time they actually know what they owe that week. So surely people must know what they're getting into with this. Some do, I think. It terrifies me that we do see people looking on like Gumtree and, and similar sites saying, who's the least bad loan shark in Sheffield? I need a loan from a loan shark. Loan shark's my only option. You know, who's not going to break my legs? But again, rare. I think, you know, 50% of our victims last year believed they were borrowing money from a friend. That's how it was sold to them at the time. It was Bob down the pub, Jimmy, who they work with, Marie at the school gates. It's someone maybe they'd known for a while, maybe who was known friend of a friend, or just someone in that community, be it an online community or, or a physical community, that was known to lend people money. We've had lending in like closed WhatsApp groups for particular migrant communities. So maybe, you know, the Zimbabwean community working in, and living in England, and the lender will be in Huddersfield with victims in Stoke and Sunderland and Dorset, because the common thing they have is that they're all from Zimbabwe. And they're all in this WhatsApp group. The lending happens on the WhatsApp group and the shaming happens on the WhatsApp group if you don't pay them. And that can break people's ties with their community. And that's a massive thing if you're living and working somewhere else. So I think that that's one of the things that we see quite frequently, you know, and I think it does affect people's mental health massively because it isolates them and it shuts them off from, from people that, that, they, that they need to be in touch with. That's, that's really interesting. So the, the very thing that introduced people to the loan shark is the same thing that will be taken away from them if they don't pay the loan shark. And yet it's still felt to be a bad thing in that person's life. Absolutely. Or we'll get people saying, well, they help me out.
You know, I knew what I was getting into. I, I decided to take the loan. I was desperate. I agreed to this when they lent me the money and somehow they feel culpable. And because of the merging of multiple loans and the fudging of charges and whatever else and no paperwork, they haven't got a track of what they've paid. When we sit down with people and we look through bank account statements and things like that, and we'll say, right, it looks like over three years in small amounts of money, you've borrowed two and a half thousand pounds. You've paid back 26. And they go, no. I go, yes, you have paid back 26. And they're astonished. You know, again, another lady we're working with at the moment, she borrowed 500 pounds. She had to pay back a grand at the end of the month. She did on payday. A week later, she needed to borrow 500 pounds again because all her money had gone on the grand. Next payday, she pays him a grand, borrows 500 pounds, pays a grand. She's basically giving this guy 500 pounds and has been for eight years. Jesus and she Jesus. cannot break the cycle. Because she tried to get legitimate loans, but no one will lend to her because on her bank statements, she's, there's no surplus income. She can't afford a loan. Whereas she could, if she could break the cycle with a loan shark. She can't get a debt relief order because the loan shark loan's not, you can't include that in a debt relief order. So, you know, what, what does she actually do to try and break that cycle? It's really, really difficult. The only thing she could do is report him to us, but she's terrified to do that. And she still has this, he helped me out thing. And what would I do in that month if I didn't have that person I could go to to get that 500 pounds? That, that, that underlying psychology is really interesting. So we see a little bit of that in what, what I would call the traditional debt world, where people almost feel guilty for having gotten into debt and therefore actually that's what drives them to bury their heads in the sand and not deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And we see people where they, you know, they'll turn to gambling because they're like, if I, can, if I can just have a win, I can pay this off. You know, is it, what, how can I get a large sum of money and then I can pay it off? But the, the tragic thing there is quite often the loan shark may give you a figure to pay them off, but they'll be back next week asking for more. I remember a girl in the northeast and she borrowed five grand off her nan and then she got a credit card and she took all the money off the credit card because the loan shark said £7,000 and I go away. She gave him £7,000, knock on the door next week, you owe me 500 quid. And now she owes her nan money and she's got a credit card that's maxed out as well. And, you know, it, it just, you don't get to pay them off. Why, why would they let you pay them off? This is their income. This is their lifestyle. You know, they're not going to let you pay them off. So, I mean, you, you, may, you mentioned there, like, one of them going on for eight years. Is there an average time length that people were tied into a loan shark before they actually really do seek help? So the average we get is three years. That's, that's what we look at when we, we look at our sort of internal stats. It's three years to report. But quite often, those people report because we go to them. So one brave person reports and then we go in and we look at the loan sharks um, house, we execute a warrant at their property. We might find written records, we might find information on a mobile phone, we might find bank statements that say they've been, been paying bank transfer and we then contact all the people on that list. So even that three years is probably an underestimate because the majority of those people we will have contacted them. Um, and they've actually gone, oh God, really? Oh right, okay, at that point, at the point of warrant. So in terms of individuals seeking help, it's probably near a five. That's interesting because last year Christians Against Poverty published a report and in that report they said that quite often people will, it will take them up to three years before they seek debt advice or help for, a, again, a, a, even a traditional debt problem. So very similar. So look, Kath, you've mentioned a few times, you, you mentioned mobile phones, WhatsApp groups, paperwork, bank statements. Go, going back to my, my sort of thing at the beginning about the, the, the burly guy, maybe in a bomber jacket, not a trench coat then, showing my age, with a, a wedge of 50s. I've, I thought this would all be cash. I didn't think you'd find any records at all. Yeah, so it's changed, I would say. So I've been doing this job since 2008. And when I started, we were 95%, I reckon, cash. And it was doorstep collecting. It was, you will bring that to my house. 
We had one loan shark who got people to write their own name on an envelope, put the money in and put it in his, in his wheelie bin, which I always thought was hideously risky, given how many Amazon packages I've lost over the years because they've put them in my bin and then they've been taken away by the bin man. You know, or, or you had to bring it to the pub, you took it to the gym, you know, you paid them back in cash and they paid you in cash. It has shifted. So even prior to COVID, we saw more bank transfer. But I think COVID really kind of sealed that fate because people couldn't go out, people couldn't door knock, they couldn't go to the pub to get payments. So I think an awful lot went to bank transfer at that point. And because we are getting more online loan sharks now, so we prosecuted a guy, he was in Doncaster, he lent to students and he targeted them via Snapchat. He actually paid an influencer to recommend him to students on Snapchat. So he had victims all over the country. Again, not a huge number, but enough, enough for him to make a decent amount of money off it. And so that had to be bank transfer because he's in Doncaster and he's lending to someone in Berkshire. You know, so we have seen that kind of shift. And I think that the nature of that faster payments on mobile phones and everything else gives loan sharks a bigger reach potentially. So historically, you know, you could give me a picture of, I'm picking somewhere at random, Swindon, put a loan shark there and I could draw your map round it as to his patch or her patch. Doesn't happen anymore. They've got much bigger reach because of, of WhatsApp, Facebook, Snapchat and, and bank transfer. Presumably makes it, makes your job easier when you do actually identify one then. Potentially it does, yeah. But they're getting quite good at hiding it in different things. And it's one of those things, you know, you look at it, someone's bank account, lots of money going in. Are they running the lottery at work? Are they a window cleaner? Are they a barber who people are paying into the bank account? It, it doesn't necessarily make it 100% easier, but sometimes it helps. I prefer the old days when we used to go in and find, you know, 19 grand under a mattress or it's about six grand we found once in a hoover. They'd hidden it in the hoover and, you know, in the oven. And you think, you hope you haven't got teenagers who get nibbly at two o'clock in the morning and fancy a pizza because that could end in disaster. And they, they do go to, to lengths. You know, we, I remember knocking on a door in, in Lancashire and they ate the SIM cards from the mobile phone before they answered the door. Because we'll only do a forced entry if we've got evidence of firearms or, you know, real substantial harm. It's people's homes at the end of the day and we don't 100% know what we're walking into. So most of the time we'll, we'll knock the door. And one, in, in again, in the northwest where they, they put the, the SIM card from the mobile phone in a pot of stew on the stove and we found it because the the, the wife was that was she was protecting this this stew if she'd left it alone we wouldn't have looked in there in all honesty but you do find evidence in, in very strange places i think you know bank transfer gives us another element but it's only one element out of a big pot if you'll pardon the pun of, uh, of potential places we can find information what what then what then are some of the solutions to this i mean obviously you your team exists and has been around for a long time what how can the rest of the industry help out with this and, and what, what sort of tools and things should we be using? Yeah, I think it's really hard, isn't it? Because one of the things that we hear a lot is, well, what we need is affordable credit. And I completely agree with that statement. But if you look at the number of people at the moment in negative budgets, in deficit budgets, credit's not the answer for them. You know, some of our victims may have got credit elsewhere. You know, they, they may have done. Uh, and they've just fallen into the trap of it's easy because she's at the school gates and she'll just give me cash tomorrow and it's only 50 quid. So why would I go and try and get a loan somewhere for such a small amount of money? But some people would not get a loan and quite rightly if they went anywhere else because anyone else has to do an affordability check. So I think affordable credit is part of the answer. I think the biggest part of the answer is, is debt advice because actually the number of people who are borrowing because they've had bailiffs at the door or because they've had um, eviction notices or because they're worried about their mortgage or whatever else. One of the things we've seen a lot of in the last year is people borrowing for food and fuel. First time we've seen that really. Historically, it's been kind of everyday expenses, but it's been more your kind of one-offs year. School uniform, white goods, car breaking down. Now it's food and fuel. 
And I think that's not a sustainable way to borrow from any industry, whether it be it legal or illegal. So I think it's about budgeting, debt advice and things like that. I think that's a bigger one. One of the things Centre for Social Justice did was they came up with a, a mnemonic friend to, to sort of ask questions of this person. Because we know people will present to debt advice or even debt collection as I owe a mate some money. And they may genuinely believe they owe a mate some money or they may be hiding it as I owe a mate some money. And it's just about you've got to pay that mate. You, know, you have to. The debt advice calls we listened to last week, there was one that was really interesting. He had debts with everybody. He, he owed money to HMRC, he owed child support, he owed an overpayment for benefits, council tax arrears, pretty much to the point of warrants being issued for his arrest. And he was completely calm about them all until he started talking about the £10 this week, £40 this week, £80 this week loan that he had to pay to these people because, quote, they're worse than bailiffs and in my eyes you have to pay them first no matter what else happens to me. You can put me in jail, I'm paying them first. And I think that's what we need to be able to spot. So funnily enough, I was at a debt advice agency yesterday as well and listening to some calls. It was interesting and I wonder if there's something in this. There, there may be, there may not be. So you mentioned enforcement agents, bailiffs. The call I heard yesterday had been going on for six years, the, the person's debt, and it followed some very traditional hallmarks. So it started off with big purchases, in other words, overreaching. And then you saw payday loans coming into the equation. And then you saw buy now, pay later coming into the equation. And then you saw credit builder credit cards coming into the equation. And then it started to become a problem. At that point, you started to see the priority debts not getting paid. So then the rent was going unpaid and the, eventually the council tax was unpaid, water, electricity. And yet it was only when there was that escalation of the debt management process towards enforcement that when the enforcement agents turned up on the door that was the trigger for the person to actually do something about it now that case you just mentioned where they were saying actually we, we need to pay these 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 people before the, the the enforcement agents before the bailiffs that just struck a chord with me actually that there are certain things that happen along a debt management journey that trigger people to to now get down and sort it out. It's interesting that, that the, in, in that case that I listened to yesterday, the council tax, the enforcement agent turn, turning up on the doorstep could do that, yet actually having uh, an illegal money lender turning up on your doorstep month after month for eight years in that particular case, or an average of three years, doesn't trigger the same thing. So I guess where my head's going now, Kath, is I mentioned the Christians Against Poverty report saying that, you know, on, on average, they the people they're helping is taking them three years be, before they've actually reached out to get advice. And I completely get that debt advice is a great place for you to target. Then I'm, I'm thinking about things like the debt and mental health evidence form and also the economic abuse evidence form. And I'm wondering, is, is, there, is there a way to approach this further upstream in the customer's debt journey? Is there something that the collections industry can be doing or the enforcement industry can be doing? Yeah, absolutely. And something specific as well, because one of the stats that always surprises me is there's four times more people using loan sharks than that have problem gambling. But if you look at the amount of resource that we all put in, quite rightly, I'm not, I'm not disputing that, into problem gambling, but there's four times as many people using illegal lending. So we always say to, to whoever, housing associations, you know, whatever, you need to have a safeguarding policy about loan sharks. Your people need to know what to do and what your policy is if they come across someone who's the victim of a loan shark. And I think getting something evidence-based like that, A, it helps us spot trends, which is always brilliant because it helps us target resource for marketing and, and for future work. But if it just gets a few individuals 
who actually then we can help and support happy days. Because for every person that we maybe get, their loan shark might be lending to 50 others. So actually that one person that we've spotted and that is, engages with us, we could be helping a whole community get rid of that loan shark debt. So there is, there is, I think, more work to be done, definitely. So we've come up with all sorts of tools. We offer free training for anybody, <laughs> anybody who will have us, to talk to them about, you know, how may a victim present to your organisation? And we tailor it. So for debt advice, it's that friend thing. It's, you know, an income and expenditure sheet that doesn't add up. It's a standard financial statement that looks wrong somehow. Debt advisors are very intuitive. They know when they're looking at this. Also, if they are looking at open banking, we might spot transactions there. You know, if someone's paying someone £200 every month, uh, with, especially with their name as a, as a reference, maybe, then what does that mean? What does that say? What's happening there? And I think it's those sorts of things, those sorts of tools and practical tips we can give people to just say, this may be how a victim presents. But the CSJ report said the reason that advisors weren't asking clients about loan sharks wasn't knowledge. They all knew what a loan shark was, what they looked like. It was confidence. So we're really focusing now in our training on giving those people confidence to ask those questions because it's a difficult conversation to have even if you are sat in front of a client who's there to talk about money you're almost challenging them is it really a mate are you sure it's a friend you know what's the circumstances of this loan are they charging you interest do they lend lots of people money are you scared of them in any way what happens if you don't repay they're not easy questions to ask if you've got someone squirming in front of you but they're necessary and then what we look at is how we kind of warmly transfer that client across to us. Because we know with the best will in the world, if you give them a leaflet with a phone number on, they ain't ringing it. You know, 99% of cases, they're not going to ring that phone. But I'm not sure I would. It's a scary thing to do, the idea of phoning a hotline to report a loan shark. But in reality, we do so much more than that. We provide support and we'll talk to people anonymously. We'll talk to them in confidence. We just want to tell them what their options are. And then if they choose not to engage with us, that's absolutely fine. No pressure, but at least they're making a decision based in knowledge rather than fear or what the loan sharks told them might happen. Okay, look, that's, that's really good to, to know about the training. So any anybody across the industry who's, yeah. yep, so financial services, debt management companies. That's a lot. We'd love to train them. And we'll do it online. We can do it face-to-face. -face. We can do anything between 45 minutes and two hours. Um, the longer it is, we think the better it is because we'll actually do some, not role plays, but we'll do some scenario stuff and we'll look at building that confidence. But if you've only got 45 minutes, we'll come and do 45 minutes, that's fine. <laughs> it's interesting as well because I think people don't put the illegal moneylender debt in the same basket in their head as all their other debts. So I think this is another reason it doesn't get just told to debt, advice, debt advisors or anyone looking at income and expenditure. I think it's something different. The second highest reason for CSJ found that people didn't tell a debt advisor about a loan shark was they didn't think they could help with that debt. And I think it's almost partitioned off because it's a friend, because it's something else. But it is, it's it's the personal touch, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, it's a little bit how doorstep lending used to work. It's that this person calls every week and has a cup of tea and knows when the kids' birthdays are. And it's a it's a friendship relationship as well. And, and it's a business relationship, but there's an element of friendship. And I think, you know, because that's how loan shark debt can start, people get it in their mind, that's what it is still. And it's, it's only, like I say, you know, when they get to the point of, how much have I paid back now? Or everyone has a line. You know, there's a guy historically and he paid for 17 years and then one day the loan shark threatened his kids and the next day he rang us because that was his line. Now he'd been beaten up in that time. He'd attempted suicide, you know. He was walking around the supermarket with a calculator. He'd lost his, nearly lost his marriage, lost his home. But the, the day the guy threatened his kids, that was his line. 
And I think that's that's what tends to happen with us. And you don't know where that line is, different for different people. But it, it does probably mirror a traditional debt journey in, in lots of ways in terms of the sort of head in the sand, the realisation, the isolation, the, the, the sort of chipping away at self-esteem, the somehow idea that this is my fault, I deserve this, I got myself into this. The idea of trying to borrow more money to get out of it, you know, it, it, it's things we see all the time, isn't it? I use these words loosely because I don't think there's anything ideal about the situation, but once a loan shark has got their claws into somebody, what is the ideal customer journey to get out of that? I think ideally it's realising that as quickly as possible for this person to think this isn't my friend, I've paid them back X amount of money now, they're nasty if I suggest that I stop, this isn't my friend, I need to do something about this. Ideally then they would Google it, realise it's a loan shark and Google it and come straight to us. That, that's my ideal situation. In reality some people will do that but that tends to be crisis point, we tend to get people. The referrals we get from third party organisations, and we do have some from debt collection and enforcement, but also debt advice, housing, police, etc. Those tend to be earlier in the journey because it's presenting as something else. It's presenting as rent arrears or debts that haven't been paid or maybe shoplifting for the police because they haven't got money to feed the kids. And I think, you know, ideally, in a way, that's almost what you want because it gets them sooner. And it's, a, it's about that person being just willing to have a conversation with us because, you know, we ask people if they'll give us a statement because that helps us get warrants. We'll ask people if they want to go on the record, but if they don't, that's fine. They can still give us information. We can still talk to them. You know, we can still offer them advice about what they could do in this situation to help their, make their life better. So I think, you know, whether or not they want to, to go on the record, it's entirely up to them, but just have that conversation. One of the things we say, you know, the vast majority of loan sharks plead guilty because you either got authorization from the FCA or you haven't. And because you get a, th a third reduction in, in sentence if you do it early enough, it less if you do it later on, people will take the re reduced sentence. So, the, you know, we, we've had, I think, in the last five years, we've had two trials and the rest have all pleaded guilty. So it's unlikely in the end of the day that you're going to have to go up and give evidence, but we can't say it's impossible and people still worry and I completely understand that. But in all likelihood, you won't have to. You know, in all likelihood, the, the person will plead guilty and then it stops. It's unenforceable debt that the loan goes away. It vanishes in, you know, 99% of cases and you're free of it. And then you can pay your legitimate creditors because one thing about loan shark victims, they are superb at budgeting because they are living on less than anyone would ask them to live on legitimately. And so they're actually really good at, at living on very, very small amounts of money. So when they suddenly got a spare £250 a month because the loan sharks disappeared, that can help them get back on track so quickly. Something just occurred to me from, from what you were saying there that when you look at economic abuse and the work that surviving economic abuse charity has done, you quite often see that the coerced debt, a lot of organisations are willing to remove that after the, after the fact, once it's it's been established. Yet. I'm not sure, and, and please tell me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure that the same thing exists, yet you're probably more likely, I would have thought, uh, percentage-wise at least, to get a conviction when a loan shark is caught than you are for a case of economic or domestic yeah. abuse. I'd imagine so as well, because there's, there's more than one victim and there's other evidence, so it's not you're not reliant on one person being brave enough through a process that can take years, because the court process takes so long to actually stand up against somebody. So you, you probably are, I don't know the stats, but you probably are more likely to. One of the things we're working at at the moment, we want illegal lending on the standard financial statement because at the moment it's hidden you know with the best will in the world people will say oh, but she needs to pay me. I'll put it down as an expense or I'll, I'll just I'll just put a bit more in this pot and a bit more in that pot for them with with, with absolute hearts of gold behind it but that's not standardized 
and you know, be treated very differently between advisors in one organization, never mind across the country. And we're, we're not even saying what we think that should look like. We're just saying it needs to be there. It needs Something needs to be done that's standardized about loan shark debt and the standard financial statement. And then you could have something where that gave someone breathing space almost while we investigate and we get to the point where we can say whether this is something we can action or not. So everyone else pauses so they can carry on paying the illegal lender for that period of time. And I think this is McCath's utopia. If that ever happened, I think that would give us a massive help to be able to say to people, you know, so what we can do now, we'll look at this and your other creditors will wait for it, not forever, but for a period of time while we can say, yes, this is actionable information. No, it's not actionable information. It is likely that an arrest can be made. It's not likely an arrest can be made because at the point of arrest, bail conditions for a loan shark will be you contact nobody that you've lent money to. You know, even if they're not charged at that point, if they are bailed, that's what we say. So at the point of an arrest, most people will stop paying, but it may be that it's not safe for them to stop paying up to that point, even if they have reported it. So it would just give people that that breathing space. And I think it would help as well because it would, it would mean advisors had to ask the question because it's on the form. And it would mean that, you know, people would, would be maybe more willing to have that conversation because it, it makes it feel like a legitimate conversation to have, not a shady conversation to have around, here's your form of all your proper debt, now let's have a shady conversation about the dude you pay at work every week. You know, I think it would that would really help. So that's something we're pushing for at the moment, working with MAPS. And it's got to work for creditors and it's got to work for debt advisors and it's got to work for clients. But hopefully we can find a way of doing that which would put it front and centre a bit more and mean it, make it an over-the-counter conversation rather than an under-the-counter conversation. That, that makes perfect sense, especially from the stat that you mentioned around four times more people are paying loan sharks than actually having problem gambling debt. So another thing that, that I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of is when we were talk, when I was talking about what else could the collections industry do. So it'd be really interesting at some point to work out what some of the indicators in the data are. So you mentioned um, through open banking, seems like it's 200 pounds going out to the same person every month. I don't think it would be too difficult for the collections industry to build in and, and the enforcement industry to build in indicators that would at least raise a flag against yeah. that type of payment. Yeah, absolutely. We're trying to do some work at the moment with this with credit unions when they're looking at affordability on a loan. We're trying to give the computer enough information so it would flag like you say and all that would happen it's not saying ah, ah loan shark victim it'd just say here's some questions now as the credit union loans officer that you need to ask this person before we authorize a loan you know we've noticed this money going out because it could be perfectly legitimate you know it could be child maintenance you know it could be me paying my dad back a loan and he's not charging me interest and we happen to have different surnames now you know that kind of thing so it could be it could be completely dismissible but at least the question's being asked and we're giving people the opportunity to say if they chose to do so so yeah anything like that i think would be amazing one of the other things i think is really interesting is particularly in enforcement is i wonder how many times people hear oh yeah i've got all the money now i borrowed it off a mate or you know now you've knocked on my door that that being the trigger for me doing something about it being i'll try and get a loan from a friend and actually is are they is that person a friend and i think that because there's two ways isn't there there's the person who hasn't paid the debt because they will loan shark some money and there's a person who's in a lot of debt so gets to the point of enforcement and then goes to a loan shark to, to pay off that because that's the trigger, that's their threshold of, oh God, there's actually people knocking at my door now. But again, I'm sure that happens legitimately an awful lot of the time. So again, how you distinguish is really tricky, but another one to think about. That's a, that's a really interesting point, one, one that I hadn't considered. So I, I will be taking that back to the office and, and having a chat around uh, uh, that, that exact point. It's, it's really good to think about it in those terms because what you've effectively done is just turn that that scenario on its head where actually the, the collections and enforcement process becomes the trigger to go to a loan shark rather than the loan shark being the trigger to collect and enforce. Okay, 
What next for the illegal money lending team? Mm, what next? What next? We've got an interesting trial coming up in London in a couple of weeks. That's going to be, I think, get us some national press, and national press tends to mean more people coming forward, so that's good. I think the, the big push for us is very much around, we, we've done so much work with third sector organisations, you know, debt advice, housing, credit unions, charities. I want to do a lot more with, with private industry. I think there's a lot more we could do with the utilities. I think there's an awful lot more we could do with, with gas, electric and water. And I think water's a really interesting one because everyone says it's the first debt people get because it's the first bill they stop paying because you can't be cut off. I think there's more we could do with collections. Absolutely. I think there's more we could do with the credit industry. And I think that's probably where we're going to go next in terms of training. You know, we'll keep on doing third sector because that's our bread and butter. But I think there's an awful lot more we could do with private sector to actually help generate intelligence and, and then get people supported. So if anyone wants to get in touch, if anyone's got any brilliant ideas about how we can do this algorithmically, because I'd love to do that in terms of computers and, and open banking, or if people would like to access training for staff or just have a chat about what we can do together, um, if you contact us and, and ask to speak to Kath, that would be brilliant. My surname is, is unspellable, so I won't give you my email address, but our hotline is 0300 555 and they'd get a message to me. Or alternatively, our website, stoploansharks.co.uk, has live chat on it, and again, they get a message to me to get in touch. Brilliant. Kath Wallace, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you found it as fascinating as I did. If you want to hear more great content from Aram and Just, then please subscribe on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts or follow us on LinkedIn so that we can let you know when the next one is out. Until then, if you'd like to discuss any of the issues that were raised in this podcast, then please get in touch with me either on LinkedIn or drop me an email to stephen.coppard at aram.co.uk. Once again, my thanks to Kath Wohlers and England's illegal money lending team for investing the time to talk to us and goodbye for now.